Pavo is a professional development platform designed to meet learners where they are by providing engaging learning experiences, peer learning opportunities, and coaching. We don't just teach you new concepts, we help you apply those concepts in your day-to-day -day work life. Welcome to Kavu's 16th Minute Podcast. I'm Rebecca Dobrinsky, the product owner for Kavu's content team and the host of the 16th Minute. At Kavu, we use the term 16th Minute for topics that come up during our 15-minute daily scrum but need more of a discussion. It's a great way to let your team know that you need a bit more clarification on something you're working on or simply need some time to talk through an idea. Let's get this episode 16th minute started. Today's guest on the first bonus episode of the 16th minute is Kavu CEO, Chris Sims. Chris recently returned from attending Agile 2022 in Nashville. We posted a few blog posts during the week with Chris's thoughts at the end of each of the days. You can check those out on our blog at kavu.co. Now that he's had time to digest the week a little more, we can take a deeper dive into Chris's experience at Agile 2022. Welcome back, Chris. Rebecca, nice to be back. It's been three weeks, actually, between personal vacation, getting sick, and then going to Nashville. So, I know, I know. And we've also had a an episode of the 16th Minute that did not have you as a guest. That's even better. I know Larry did a great job talking about uh, thinking of bets. Um, yes. Yeah. That. So we were really excited and I'm excited about this one because you, like you said, you just got back from Agile 2022 Yeah. and we haven't even really had much of a chance to talk about it yet. So this is going to be some of the first time I hear some of your thoughts on this, besides the notes that uh, we worked on the blog posts from. The, the very copious amount of notes. I took. People <laughs> were wanting me, like, were almost willing to pay me for my conference notes. So, oh, wow. Uh, maybe That's we have awesome. a new line of business next year. <laughs> I'll do that for ACT, and then you can do that for this, and we'll have right. the note-taking situation covered. Yep. So uh, like you said, you are back from Agile 2022. We did um, your thoughts on day one, day two, et cetera, on our blog posts. So I figured we would kind of do that here as well. We'll start at day one, get your thoughts a little more than, than what we put in the blog post, and then we'll wind up with your biggest takeaway. So let's get started with our 16th minute. All right. So day one, we titled that blog post the that Agile is an infinite game. And that focused a lot on you hearing what Diana Larson was talking about. So right. dive in on Diana. So Diana, uh, one of the two women that helped create uh, the retrospective, their input uh, helped us actually split out the retro from review. Uh, fascinating to get to talk with her. And really, while her talk could appear to be high level. Uh, I found it very interesting understanding a little bit about kind of the politics and the background and the market in the agile world. You get a lot of people that are agilists are very passionate by our nature. We we love helping people uh, do better. And when we come up with ideas, we like defending and fighting those ideas. So often you'll see my agile frameworks better than your agile framework. Na 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 na. Like like almost uh, playground fights. And what. Diana was bringing up with this concept of finite and infinite games. In a finite game, there's a winner and a loser. 
Uh, it's the games that we grow up playing on in school, at home, with our friends and family, and they can be a lot of fun. And I am like to be competitive. That might be one reason I started a couple of businesses. There's a little bit of competitive streak in me. But Diana wanted to bring the point out that while there are, if there is a place for finite games, that Agile is an infinite game, that we're all trying to make the world a little bit better. And there's lots of ways you can play. We can play Ticket to Ride or insert your other game. I just went totally blank on like Catan or whatever your fun <laughs> game is that you love playing your game. We could do that. But all those games, they're fun in their own right. They have their place. They should exist. And a lot of agile frameworks, the point she was making, are, should be like that, that we need to build each other up as we're looking in the field instead of really focusing on are we truly the better framework? Uh, instead, what we need to do is are we really making the world better? And however you're going about doing that, making better places to work, making more efficient companies, we need to support everyone. And if you happen to play Catan, that doesn't mean you tear down someone that plays Ticket to Ride, you build everyone up, which, by the way, Ticket to Ride is a terrible game. I hate playing it. Uh, <laughs> but, and I just offended maybe some of the people listening to this podcast, but it's true. Uh, <laughs> but her point. That's OK. I have no idea when you're talking about it. It's Catan. So we're all right. I probably just alienated a bunch of people too. <laughs> Absolutely. But um, but I think her point was was very important in that as agilists, as even Kabu that's starting a company, our goal should be to help build the entire community up. And what can we do to help make a better agile world? Because at its core, agile is about creating a more human world a place where people come to work and they enjoy coming to work, a place that people work at a sustainable pace, that people will come to explore and discover and make the world around us. Uh, later on, we learned that, you know, people are using Agile to uh, search for ET and, and build cool spaceships and discover uh, and make the world better. We've seen Agile used in cancer research. We've seen it uh, in, definitely in software uh, applications. If mm -hmm. we can do anything to make those processes better, we just make human race, the human species better and more sustainable and make a better world around us, which really was a theme that drove all of the entire conference was around this. Let's make a better world, uh, a more empathetic, a more human world. I think that's one of the things that draws me to Agile because, you know, after years and years in nonprofits, I've always been of the ilk that I should make a better place than I leave it, you know, yep. so um that actually leads us straight into the fact that Agile, there's a secret in the sauce. You know, it's all about how you define those kinds of things. So a couple of the things that we distilled from your notes last week was about the concept of BAPO and domain-driven design and the importance of culture. Right. So that was actually on day two, and that was with a talk from uh, Nivia Henry, the director of engineering for little small little company, Spotify. Uh, <laughs> I love her outfit. She was actually dressed in Spotify colors. I, I know that had to be very intentional on her part. Nivia was fascinating to listen to. One, anytime someone from a large innovative company like Spotify comes in, it's always interesting as Kavu running a very early young startup, uh, what mm -hmm. has worked for those that have gone before us? And so what Nivia was bringing up is this concept of Conway's Law. Conway's Law has been around for a while, and it's the concept that the way you structure your organization, the culture 
defines how the product's going to work. So if you have a very rigid, top-down control, waterfall approach, then your software is going to look like it was built uh, by with a very top-down, rigid waterfall approach. And we probably all use software. Heck, even Office in the early days was very top-down and rigid at times because Microsoft, when it was building it early on, was like that. But as they've evolved, they were able to use their revenue to evolve into a more agile, more innovative, more product-led, human-focused organization. And, and that has actually increased their adoption, increased their usability of Office as a product. Spotify had the luxury of enough revenue to be able to do that at the very beginning. And so Nivea brought up this concept of instead of starting with your org design, start with the business. Start with how are you actually going to generate revenue and profit? Who are the humans whose lives you're making better? Understand that first. From there, how are you going to build a solution that solves those problems? Work on architecture. So it starts with business and moves to architecture, which is the physical systems you're going to have in place. Are you? And that's where domain-driven development or triple D comes in. It's the concept of understand the business domain and mm -hmm. how those business domains interact. So for instance, at Kavu, we have uh, a couple of main business domains. We have our instructor-led learning. We have our level up scholarship program. We have our on-demand learning. All of those are different domains that have different needs, but we need to understand them first. And once we understand our business, we understand our architecture, we need to understand the processes to make all that work. And only when you get those three things done, can you intentionally move into designing your organization in a way that minimizes overlap. And certainly when we've worked with large enterprise, John Deere uh, is a good example. Wesco is another example. Early stages is organization design. How are we going to rebuild our company in a way to be as agile as possible? And Nivea said, start with the business, start with the architecture. And only when you have that understood, can you move into building an org that will be intentional. So mm -hmm. thinking Conway's law, like one way or the other, your culture is going to drive how your software works. It can either be accidental or unintentional, or it could be very intentional. And she's making it the great point and the great process to build a very intentional organization that creates software, creates, and not just software, that creates solutions to problems that, that create the kind of experience that you want to create. For Kabu, as we're looking at growing, we're an early company, we're looking at understanding our domain, understanding how we're going to design our organization and constantly remake our organization. Because mm -hmm. transformation never ends. You're always in flux. You're always getting to that next state. And so Kabu, we're trying to understand that exact concept and understand who are the humans whose lives we're making better, how we're building a solution, and how can we design an organization to empower that. It's and as far as the themes of building this empathy and this human focus that Dana set up, this concept of business first design and remaking yourself was another one of the core themes that I saw throughout all of the sessions I went to. Well, another thing that happened on day two, and we know how much I love the Agile Retrospective book by Esther Derby. You got to hear from Esther Derby. Tell me yeah. about that. Two of the most influential uh, leaders in Agile, and women leaders, especially in Agile, Esther and Diana, they've written books together. Uh, I get to go to a Q&A session with Esther Derby. Uh, easily the most influential session for me the entire uh, time. Esther is this. Uh, 
just powerful thinker and speaker and really focused on finding empathy for humans when you're going through complex changes, which which life is about complex changes. Business is definitely about constantly remaking yourself uh, to the next evolution of what you're going to be as an organization, as a person, as a team. Those are very intimidating times. And Esther talks a lot about finding, getting curious and finding empathy for the humans that you're working with. And while her her session was genuinely a question and answer session, it, was, it revolved largely around her uh, some of her new books that uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll need to have links to her books, by the way. Uh, read every single one of them. They are all great. But these seven heuristics, seven rules or guides to changing and transforming a business, she talked a lot about that. And really kind of if I were to summarize it, it starts first with getting curious. Don't assume mm -hmm. that you know what's going on. Instead, ask lots of questions. Often we uh, think back to office space, they jump to conclusions, Matt. We put our, our conclusions down and we literally jump onto those conclusions and then we don't want to be moved off of them. Uh, what she says is stop with that and really understand the people. One of the fascinating stories she told this time was she went into a company and she saw that there is this person there that everyone felt was just sabotaging the entire process. And one consultant advised, just fire the person, get rid of them. They're, sab they're sabotage, uh, saboteurs and you don't need that. Instead, what she did is she actually sat down and said, hey, it looks like you're sabotaging things. What's going on? And the guy answered, yeah, I actually absolutely am sabotaging. You see, what happens is our company pays for all these consultants. They come in and we have this huge release. And so all of a sudden now we're doing all of these transformations and we can't get the freaking product out the door. And that's going to cause us to go out of business. And so when she got curious, she built empathy and understood that, yeah, he was sabotaging, but there was a good reason behind it. Mm -hmm. And that allowed her to back up and to find a different direction and build kind of this, this bridge that worked. And I thought that it's so easy to come in and get frustrated with someone we're working with, uh, get angry at them, but really taking a minute to build empathy uh, and to be vulnerable with our teams, I thought was very fascinating. Uh, and that Scrum, the idea of, of Agile in particular, not Scrum specifically, but Agile, can help build these places where we have the freedom to be curious. We have the freedom to play. We have the ability to trust each other. Helps us build organizations that that focus on joy. And that when your company and your team enjoy what they're doing, they found joy in the journey, that they're able to overcome so much more and build much, much better uh, organizations. And so really loved everything that she was saying. Uh, and by the way, I will share the seven rules to building sustainable organizational change because uh, this needs to be multiple blog posts and hopefully maybe one day we can get Esther on this podcast. But her that seven would rules, be so awesome. <laughs> it would be awesome. I think we can do it. Uh, rule number one, uh, strive for congruence, honor the past, present, and people. Assess what is so you understand what's going on. Attend to the networks. How are people getting things done? What does the network look like? Experiment and guide and allow for variation. Allow there to be differences. Uh, and then finally, use yourself because you're the most important tool for change. And she talks about the importance of us being change agents in an organization. What does that mean? So 
powerful stuff out of that hour, 15 minute session. Oh, I bet. I bet. And, you know, I need to dive back into your notes so I can, uh, I can get some of the additional gems out of there uh, since I only did a, like a cursory edit the other day. Yeah. So now, go in in detail, read the book. Uh, I will. Yeah. Um, and there was a quote, I put it out there. Um, that talks what to do when you're, you're challenged and she gets to the fact, realize that you are not your job, that mm -hmm. you are more as a human and uh, make sure you don't lose that grounding, that you're always more than what you do. And I really thought that was just good life lessons from Miss Esther Derby. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of times we all get caught up in that and it's really prevalent in the nonprofit world because you're, you're in the, yes, yeah, that's where my, so much of my experience comes from is the nonprofit world. And you're so behind the mission of the organization that mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, I've seen it with my friends and my colleagues, you become your job and you don't have an identity outside of your job sometimes. And right. it's a challenge to overcome, you know? Oh yeah, so absolutely. I think that's As good advice for everybody. Now, I get it because <laughs> mm -hmm. it's hard not to be identified by that. Yeah. Even when you love what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, all right, this is the part I am super excited about. Besides <laughs> Esther, of course, that's probably where I was most excited. But the Agile Search for ET. You got oh, to hear from the folks who worked on the James Webb Space Telescope. Yeah. So. Um yeah, no, that was um Esther knew I was gonna go see Esther, and then Susan Reed from uh the department that runs the um James Webb Space Telescope and Hubble before that. Uh, so she is the uh, IT lead. Uh, I forgot her exact title. Um, man, I should absolutely know this. <laughs> but basically, she is the program director for IT for Hubble and James Webb Space Telescope. So um, not when, when I think Agile, when I think people that are embracing Agile, I tend not to put NASA pretty high on that list because, I mean, they're engineers. They're very old school. We, we heck, most waterfall project management knowledge, a lot of it comes from the kinds of projects that NASA has done over the past. But believe it or not, uh, the scientists that are consuming and using the James Webb Space Telescope, the engineers that are helping build it, and operate it, use Agile. And I thought that was one, while I know it could be very beneficial, it's really cool to see Agile implemented in uh, an organization like that. And Susan made the comment that they are very much a startup. They deal with the same exact kinds of problems. They're trying to understand how they create value, trying to understand the problems they're looking to overcome and find the most efficient way possible. Now she made a point, they didn't build the James Webb Space Telescope uh, using Agile. They did do waterfall for that. In fact, five years ago, they predicted within three minutes uh, how long it was going to take for the for the sunshield to unfold. They predicted within three minutes, which wow. has got to be some sort of Guinness World Record because we all know that most estimates and project plans aren't even feasible within a three. That's just mind blowing uh, that they were able to do that. But now they operate using uh, Agile and a lot of the same techniques. And so she got to talking about their day-to-day -day of uh, 
you know, when they're trying to decide on a new mission for the telescope, or when they're trying to respond to issues, when they're trying to do enormous amounts of hiring or skilling up, scaling up uh, their organization, what they've done to be able to embrace that. And totally unsurprising to any of us in the agile transformation space or anyone that's been doing this, uh, culture is kind of important. Mm -hmm. Building that agile culture, she talked about how important that was to their success in one of the most groundbreaking, innovative, life-changing, world-changing scientific missions that has ever happened. Uh, that culture of agility, of, trans of transparency, of bringing up and, and celebrating the humans that are solving the problems was a big part of why they've been as successful as they are. And it's really cool to hear her talk about that. Even better, she promised, and I think she was making this just out of hand like we'll do when we're talking, but I'm going to follow up on it. She did promise that she would give us behind the scenes tour of the Mission Operations Center. So I can't wait till we deliver this podcast from the Mission Operations Center of the James Webb Space Telescope, because I told her I'm going to follow up with her on that. Field trip. Yes, I'm it totally is the field there. trip. Totally in October, there. we're going to be in D.C. <laughs> already, so um, we're doing it. Um, so you're going to hold her to that. I'm totally holding you to that. Absolutely. Please do. <laughs> um, I, I talked to what some of my co-founders and they said they want to do that more than anything in life itself. And so, <laughs> um, I think, I think the, the whole Kavu team would probably say that oh, at yeah. this point, everybody yeah. was just like, oh my gosh. Yeah, so. it was, it was cool. And really just a, I mean, the power of agility to truly, I mean, it's just, this is a big way of changing lives and it's what they're yeah. doing. And so I thought that was cool. So that was definitely the highlight from day three, maybe from Absolutely. the whole conference, but definitely from day three. <laughs> uh, so day four, there was a lot of talk about inequality and creating belonging yeah. and delivering value and agile. So what did you take away from what was going on in those talks on, on uh, I think that was Thursday. Yeah. So I think the thing that really genuinely stood out for me on day four was this. When you look at the world's most hairy, gross, bad, difficult problems to overcome, that Jeff Sutler and the co-creator Scrum believes that the number one big, hairy, audacious problem that we need to solve in our lifetime is that of global inequality. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was interesting that it wasn't just, hey, we need to go do this, because we could all say, yeah, we need to end global inequality. It's the genuine belief that the world has adapted and grown in the ways that we actually can solve global inequality in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. So it's not just we need to, it's that we actually have the intersection of greater awareness, greater visibility, a more uh, humane kind of zeitgeist, if you will, uh, people are willing and ready to see some of these changes happen. And the point that, one, and I, I believe this for a long time, but hearing it kind of brought out in this level, the point that in this kind of session was that Agile could be a real driver for this and the scrum values, the scrum process can help us truly solve this big, difficult problem of global inequality. And they spent a lot of time, first of all, talking about 
why it's important for us to go change that. Like, what, why um, do we do that? And he did it. Uh, Jeff, when Jeff talks, he often speaks from very much a very practical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like, here are the business, the money reasons. And if you get down to just straight up dollars and cents, diversity and equity is not just something a company should have. It's like it's something a company must have for it to succeed. Companies that are more diverse, that have better equi- uh, a better equitable framework, uh, are more likely to succeed. They build more innovative projects. And whether it's diversity building innovation or the culture that creates diversity building innovation, it doesn't really matter that financially speaking, this is something that needs to happen. But we have a real problem. Pre-pandemic, uh, according to uh, the World Economic Forum, we had 99 and a half years to create, uh, to eliminate the gender gap. After the pandemic, that number went to 135.6 years. Mm-hmm. We've actually deepened the gender gap and we deepened this divide. So we're seeing these problems, problems that we know there's really good reasons beyond just the human, which the human is more than enough to go do. We've got these business reasons and, and these, these uh, sustainability reasons we need to go solve these problems, but things are getting a little bit worse. And it was interesting uh, why, and it's hard to say there's one reason, you know, whether it's, you know, mothers are at home when there's no longer childcare. So now instead of being able to be free to do their job, they're now having to be stay-at-home moms uh, because we've lost resources around that. Uh, mm-hmm. People aren't showing up to work. So maybe they're not getting, they're not as visible. And so when it comes time for promotions, maybe women aren't being as considered as often. There are Real, very serious problems that we need to get behind. But the point is that Agile and Scrum gives us a tool, a tool to be able to fix this. And it starts with the Scrum values, courage and openness. Uh, being, and, and when when Paolo and Noah Sarucha, uh, Paolo is a phenomenal Scrum trainer out of Argentina. Uh, Noah is actually Jeff Sellers' product owner. So she's his product owner for the team that he's on. Uh, oh, wow. He helps give priority to Jeff. That's who she is. Kind of cool uh, human. Mm-hmm. But they told the story of this baby elephant. And, and honestly, the story frustrates me because uh, anyway, the story goes this way. Uh, an elephant uh, as a baby um, is tied to a post. And the elephant can only walk in a certain circle around this post, can't move beyond there. Well, as the elephant becomes an adult and gets put in the circus, the elephant, uh, they take the uh, rope off the elephant, but it doesn't know that it has the ability to expand beyond. So it still walks in a circle. And the parable is, you know, if early on uh, you're not taught that you can do more, go further, be better, that as you become an adult, and even if those boundaries are removed, that you still aren't as likely to expand beyond uh, what you're doing and, and courage and openness gives us the courage to be like Dumbo to spread your ears and fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while I'm kind of mad at the people that would tie an elephant up and that, you know, I just, that makes me mad. But the, the more of the, the parable was that um, courage can allow people from um, underrepresented backgrounds to be more willing to try things and openness, uh, a mm-hmm. team that, Embraces openness, embraces the ability to support 
uh, our uh, underrepresented people will come in and, and be more willing. There needs to be an openness to share, like ask the uncomfortable questions. Yes, in fact, you can talk about religion at work. If you talk about it in a respectful way that says, hey, I want to understand who you are as a human. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to be able to have those conversations and be very open about it. Commitment and focus. She moved into commitment and focus and talking about that gives us the ability that first of all, teams must commit to embrace diversity. Diversity is hard. I call it the Tower of Babel syndrome. When you start getting people from lots of different backgrounds with different perspectives, they can say the same exact word and mean two very different things. Mm -hmm. uh, but you have to have a commitment to be able to do that and the space to focus on addressing that diversity. Uh, and all of this kind of gets the underpinning of respect, building a community of, that genuinely respects and values that diversity. Now, we know ultimately in teams that while we want to celebrate what makes us diverse, we want to try to find a team identity, mm -hmm. uh, it's team culture. This thing is not just um, it's not just what makes us unique. It's it's as a team. How what is our culture? What is our background? What is our history? And the cool thing about diversity and equity is that a team, an effective team, is not just the sum of its parts, that teams that embrace diversity and equity be the multiplication of its parts, that each diverse perspective and background can multiply your team's ability to solve innovative problems. And so uh, this framework allows us to uh, do that. From a value standpoint, even as logistics, are we inspecting and adapting? How often are we working to solve and create a more diverse and equitable workforce? Uh, and so I thought it was it's interesting. Uh, and certainly not like it, this wasn't like, oh my God, I've never seen this. I've never seen it described this way. Okay. I definitely have seen the Scrum framework and, and the Agile Manifesto be able to build uh, more human, more empathetic, more diverse and equitable teams. Uh, really having it broken down this way is, yeah, no, this is actually not just a tool. Uh, here's a framework we can use to help solve uh, the global inequality crisis in our lifetime, I thought was fascinating. I love that idea of instead of a team being the sum of its parts, the diverse team is the multiplication of its parts. I yeah. think that's so important. And that's that's kind of, that might be my takeaway from from your experience is that that very simple line that really just means so okay. much more and will make those kinds of, of impacts on different teams. So right. that, that's kind of an exciting concept for me to, to move forward with. Yeah. So, well, I guess our, we're going to get to our last question. Okay. What is your biggest takeaway from <laughs> that whole week? I mean, honestly, I think that last part that, mm -hmm. The problems that matter in the world, global inequality, economic and, and uh, environmental uh, problems, the health issues that we're seeing in the world, that agility is not just a way of writing software. Agility is a better way of solving human problems. It is iterative. It doesn't assume that there is a right solution, but it focuses instead on the outcomes and inspecting and adapting and trying. That agility truly is the framework that could be the key to unlocking 
our pathways to solving these problems to better, not just better business outcomes, but better human outcomes. Mm-hmm. And I think every single speaker talked about the importance of empathy, talked about the importance of human understanding, talked about the importance of data-driven decision-making. And if we continue to take those concepts into the problems that are the greatest, scariest, most um, consequential problems of our time, that we actually have the tools we need to go solve those problems. And I think that's pretty freaking cool to be able to be part of the team that helps go solve those problems. Definitely. Definitely. Wow. This has been a great episode, Chris. This was so much fun. It was, a, it was a powerful week last week. Um, there were a lot of really cool things. It was intimidating being in front of that many people again after so long. It's the first okay. time. By far the largest amount of people I've ever been in front of in the last two years for business. Um, actually, yeah. for business, but personal. These were thousands of people that were there. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would know. We got to like relearn how to do all that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like working out for the first time when you haven't for a, after a long time, all mm-hmm. your muscles are sore and they hurt. I kind of felt that way. I definitely needed my uh, not see a single human when I get back for a couple of days, but uh, so glad I did it. It's so worth it. All right. Well, that's it for us today. So thanks for joining us, Chris, on this bonus episode of Kavu's 16th Minute. All right. And I think we will be uh, sharing the blog posts for folks who are listening. And once again, thank you everyone for listening. Have a great rest of your week. I agree. Thank you everyone. And thank you, Rebecca. And talk to you next time. The 16th Minute is brought to you by our sponsor, Sagayo. Start your technology journey and transform your business with Sagayo's innovative business technology services. Visit sagayo.io today. This episode of the Kavu 16th Minute is brought to you by Kavu Benefit Corporation. The 16th Minute is hosted by Rebecca Dabrinsky and is produced by Melissa Blanchard. Audio production is done by Melissa Blanchard and Matteo Antello. The logo was created by Melissa Crochet. And our resident scrum master, Matteo Antello, keeps us all in line so we can bring you these episodes.